Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Darkness turns to light. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Good evening, everyone. You might uh, find it helpful to open your Bibles. You might not be able to see too clearly, but page 694, uh, for those of you who've been eating plenty of carrots recently. A diary clash of my own making meant that I missed my own team's Christmas dinner this week at work, um, just the week before last. But before that, I was thankful uh, to have arrived just in time for the secret Santa uh, presence and to have received this karma llama. Uh, that's karma with an L, not an R, in case you were wondering, uh, which might explain why I've been a bit more chilled than usual this last week. And yet, when... I think about the issues and the troubles that we face in the world as a nation, in the workplace, in family life. The Kama Lama seems rather inadequate. Terrible wars increasing in number, it seems, and compounding globally. We're right to ask, aren't we, where are the peacemakers? Politics and dictators driven by greed and the power of oppression Where is the justice in this world? Companies struggling and failing, bringing about the worst in people, as I see in my work. Where is the realism and respect? Friends and family arguments, whole neighborhoods divided or worse. Where is the compassion and the community? And personal trauma, trials and turmoil, 
dramatically increased since COVID, as we know, sadly, in our teams at work and across the nation. Where is the comfort and the peace that we desire? All of this really is exhausting. It's no wonder that we're becoming more fragile. But ultimately, these issues are all people issues, or rather, people with issues. When we think about it, we have to admit too, don't we, that each of us gets things wrong and we mess things up. So could it be that we ourselves are part of the problem? Yes, we might consider ourselves to be good, but against whose standard? And around us still, the problems of the world and our own lives pile up, and sometimes they overwhelm us. So it's a big relief today that God speaks into our situation as he did into the lives of the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah, as Lane just read to us. So please turn, uh, if you can, to the Bibles to page 694, and we'll look at three short points to help us from just a few verses of nearly 1,300 written by Isaiah. First of all, the promise of peace that we see in verse 6. Let me just read it again for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah is talking about in this verse, and what we see here, is peace from God. Peace in the form of a person. Peace through a prince. Peace through a child, Jesus, Son of God, and Mary. A child whose birth, as John reminded us earlier, was heralded by an army of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And so if we have God's favour, we can have his peace, which is a huge deal, isn't it? The oldest rebellion of all, mankind rebelling against God, could be resolved. And to get a sense of the scale and the importance of what's happening here, look up at verse 2. Let me read that to you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we heard Eleanor read earlier from John chapter 1 about this light of the world coming into the world. And his light will penetrate the deepest, darkest corners of the world and even the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts. Corners of our hearts which we hide away the wrong things that we've done, that we've said, that we've thought, pushing them further away from our consciences and layering new wrongs and new sins on top of the old ones each week until our hearts are hardened and calloused and we can no longer even recognise that we are sinning against God or man, which alienates us further and further from God until reconciliation seems impossible. But it's not. It's not impossible. However bad we think we are, however good we think we are, it's what the Prince of Peace came to do, to make a way by which we can be reconciled to God. And if we could have peace with God, then we might have peace with ourselves and then peace with our neighbours. What a promise this is in the midst of the darkness and troubles of this world. A promise to the Israelites, a promise to each of us, and a promise to the world. And we can get a sense of what it might feel like for this promise to be revealed in verse 4. Let me read. 
For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So to have the yoke of sin that bites into our minds and in our shoulders shattered, the rod of our oppression broken, freedom from the sin that binds us, what a feeling that would be. But is it really that simple? Surely there's a catch. We need to know, don't we, that this is a permanent peace, not a temporary ceasefire. And we also need to know what it will cost us. Something in all of us longs for an end to this suffering and pain and brokenness of this world. We know from history, don't we, that kingdoms rise and fall. Governments, CEOs and prime ministers come and go. However far they have extended their borders or their control of commerce or their domination of people and nations. We have a sense, too, of our own frailty and mortality. But the peace that Isaiah speaks of in verse 7 is different. Jesus is different. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So whatever happens, he's in charge. Whatever troubles befall us, peace will win out. His kingdom will continue to grow forever, and peace will be permanent. Which is stunning news. The peace that we have all been seeking will go on forever. But at this point, I recognise some of you may be thinking, well, Andrew, it's great to hear this peace will never end. But the question really is, when will it start? How can we reconcile what Isaiah says to what we see in the world? I just don't feel it. Well, to get there, we have to follow Jesus from the crib to the cross, from helpless babe to a man stripped, beaten, mocked, tortured like a criminal, though he had done no wrong. He was innocent. He had kept the law of the land and the law of God, and yet was willing to pay the price at great and terrible cost to win peace for us, something that we don't deserve, we cannot earn, and we can scarcely imagine. And what does it cost us? Nothing. What did it cost Jesus? Everything. Yet the truth is that we can know this peace. Not that we won't then suffer everything that the world throws at us, but this spiritual peace, being reconciled with God because of Jesus, through Jesus, transcends everything else. As he told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. A promise for everyone who is trusting in him. So I encourage you, is this a promise for you if you don't know it already? And our confidence that this peace will not end comes from the fact that Jesus lives because death could not hold him and hundreds of witnesses saw it. So we can have confidence, faith and a certain hope that the peace Jesus brought will last forever. And again, some of you may be asking, yes, it all sounds good to have peace with God. It's nice for you, Andrew, but how can I be sure of this peace for myself? Where is the proof today? And all I can say to that is, don't take my word for it. Isaiah points us to the answer, which is the third will, if we just look back at verses 6 and 7. Firstly, he will be called Prince of Peace. Second, of peace there will be no end. Why? Because of the third will. The zeal, which is the passion and the purpose of the Lord Almighty, 
will accomplish this. And here's the evidence for that zeal, that passion, and that purpose. It can be seen in God's character from the start to the end of the Bible in both his strength and his gentleness. In the very conception of Jesus, as we know from the Dr. Luke's account, in the protection of Jesus as his father was warned to flee Egypt to save the family from Herod's killing of every boy under the age of two. It can be seen in the life and the words of Jesus right through the four gospel accounts. And if you've not read one recently, I'd encourage you to read one, or all of them, over Christmas. Make time for that. And it can be seen especially in the obedience of Jesus, most supremely in his going to the cross willingly and in his death and resurrection, but also after that in his gift of the Spirit of God for and in us. So now the evidence is in his people and the radically changed lives that peace from, with God through the Prince of Peace brings. Peace that extends from spiritual peace with God to emotional peace within, to relational peace with others. Maybe you've seen it or known it. Peace that makes a difference in the world and to ordinary lives like mine and yours. So a calm alarmer may be helpful to de-stress, but the greatest gift that we can receive this Christmas, indescribable really, is to know the Prince of Peace personally, the one who has opened the way to reconciliation with God, the one who loves us, whatever we're like, who paid the price with his own life, and who will welcome us if we would only turn to him. The choir will help us, I think, shortly with this challenge. And please do speak to me or to John or whoever you came with this evening if you would like to know more about Jesus and how he can bring peace into your life, peace that truly surpasses all understanding. And so in closing, I pray that each of you will have a peaceful Christmas with your friends and families either here or if you're traveling with your friends and families and local communities there and wherever you are as part of God's family.